0: Hi, this is mish hancock and you are listening to mishmash a place where i get to talk to the weird wacky wonderful people of this world people i adore and want to know more about today my guest is land speed louise Noweth. she is the principal storyteller at land speed productions and today she is going to tell us how fast she can go Hi, Landspeed Louise. Hi.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so I think this is so fun. Let's just say you were one of our past speakers at TEDx St. Louis.
1: Oh, great time! Uh, tell me, tell me how that is from your perspective of being a speaker. Uh, a fabulous deal. The only reason that I signed up to do it is because of the training that went along with it. I give talks all over the world and all different levels from kindergarten on up to university and itty-bitty crowds and gigantic crowds but I'm a kid off the streets of the south side of Chicago and I've never had any college or anything but I got a PhD from the University of Concrete and what I do I would go up against any learned academic. But when I saw that, that they would give training, I went, "Why well, I do this all the time, but geez, I wonder what would be something that I don't know or something that could help me because there's always things that can help. Right. So that was the main reason, plus the idea that I wanted to get the word out about women in motorsport because when you think of a helmet and motorsport, you do not put a, a female head in that helmet. It's always a guy. So my big deal was to make sure that when people think of helmets, they consider that it could be either.
0: And it's so great because you tell that story and you tell it well. That story of, I mean, I was astonished what I learned from you. How long, how far back in history, when did this start with women getting into a, a, a vehicle and
1: going extremely fast? Well, they would get in in, in early days, in the 30s and the 40s, unless you were in independently wealthy and you wanted to, you did not uh, because there was always a reason that they could find that ovaries ha- should not be competitive. Um, or you had an extremely strong husband who knew your uh, talents or father or someone who was your, uh, your, your champion mm-hmm. and would open the doors and allow you to go through them or shall we say... Uh, get the helmet on and and go to the starting line. That's the big deal. Uh, and I would say in the 30s and the 40s and 50s, there were just um, a sprinkling of these. Uh, because one, women were always told, no, no, that's not what you do. You know, you stay home, you do these other things or because they would not let you. Um, for instance, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you weren't even, if you were a woman, if you had ovaries, you could not even go in the garages, in the pits. They didn't want women anywhere near the garages. Uh, and when my friend, who Paula Nurphy, who just turned 95... Uh, got the chance to drive. She was the first female to drive on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the late 60s. They would not let her in the garages. They would not let her in the pits. She had to come over the wall from the grandstands and put her clothing on there on the track and then leave from there. They did not want her to soil or contaminate the pits. Oh, my gosh. That was in the 60s. How bizarre. Very bizarre. Um, And when she took this particular car, it was called a Nova. It was a very powerful car. It'd be like taking, oh, I don't know, a Lamborghini or Ferrari, if if those you understand better. And she drove that car, having never driven it before, never obviously on the speedway, on a banked track. She was right up to the exact speeds that most of the cars that year at the Indy 500 were qualifying at, but she was not allowed to go to the starting line because she had ovaries and not testicles. Oh, that's crazy. Very much. And that's been more or less the story just about everywhere in Europe not so Bad, but there just weren't as many. You would find gals that would be Grand Prix drivers, that would go to the 24 hour Le Mans, uh, that would do various other racing as well as uh, motorcycle stuff. But in the United States, um, I think we suffer or did. Uh, suffer from uh, teeny tiny testicles. So, <laughs> so let me
0: ask you this: I mean, so the Bonneville Salt Flats—that's where the women, that's where a lot mm-hmm. of women do the racing. That's and why are I focused. they allowed, and are is it still tough to break into Indianapolis and all of those other racing places?
1: <sighs> yes and no. Um, at Bonneville, you uh, what I identified with this, my latest book that I did. It's a picture book. And it was born out of COVID because I didn't have much to do, but I had a boatload of photos of things. And this publisher came to me and they're pictorially uh, um, based. So it was the first time I had done a book that was, you had to choose the pictures first and then write the captions. So if you could visually tell the story, keep going. So I did one on the history of Bonneville that started in 1914, and that was so well received that I did this one on the Bonneville women, because that was one of the special chapters I did in the first book. Ah. Because the Hot Rodders, they have a variety of Prejudices, okay. serious prejudices. <clears throat> One is for motorcycles because you can't be a hot rodder because you only have two wheels. Poo, poo, poo. <laughs> and then the other is thrust powered vehicles, you know, anything that's axial flow, a jet, a turbine, or a rocket because you can't be a hot rodder because you don't have any pistons. <laughs> but the most dangerous of all. Are women. Because ah. it's one thing if Joe beats Bob, but if Louise beats Bob, neener, 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 his <laughs> testicles evaporate right off his body. Ha ha ha. And of course, all his guy friends remind him. It isn't that the woman, it's a woman beat him. It isn't that a better driver. And that was the uh, constipated mindset that these people had. And I've come to the conclusion because I've Driven, flown, sailed, so many things. The only thing necessary to operate any motorized piece of equipment, whether it's on the ground, in the air, or in the water, is good input. Good input gets good response. Bad input, bad response. Well, you have. You you are adventurous.
0: I mean, you've been standing on top of airplanes. And tell us some of the things you've done.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I... I was doing some photography for an air show, and this fellow showed up. His, he was called air, Earl Cherry and his role models. And he was this big strap and country boy with this big red and white steerman biplane. And of course, the role models, they were that. They were just skin-tight bodysuit onesies, you know, in leather. And they were gorgeous women. And he'd he'd get him to stand on the top of his airplane and he'd take off and he'd turn the plane over and do circles and and loops and twirls and all that cause, and they would be up there with their hair flowing and, you know, doing the big show and people would go, ooh, ah. And when he did the press uh, event, he said, you know, I'll I'll take anybody out there that'd like to go. Hand went right up. My hand was first one because I was determined. I mean, I'm a pilot for many years, but I'd never stood on top of one. So I thought this would be great. Oh, my
0: gosh. Now, you have to tell me, how are you connected to this plane (laughs) so that you don't Uh, fall off? (laughs) There's a big,
1: giant metal stick that goes down into the airframe connected to the aircraft on the top. Um, and then there and you will put on a harness. okay and that harness goes into again the, the airframe on the wings on the top. So you can maybe walk uh, around maybe a, a foot, but that's about it. You're, there's no waltzing around up there unless you have a longer cord. And what made me just laugh like crazy is that there is a seat belt up there, <laughs> but it's it's a seat belt from the 60s from GM. It was a corvette oh. seat belt. and you push the button in the center, I said, well, this isn't going to be very oh my- good. Gosh! But you could take that off if you wanted to. Oh! It, but you stay, you stay very connected, and of course, when the plane is even when is the moving plane forth, goes upside down, are your feet still touching? Uh, yes, because it depends on how tight you make yourself. Okay, you can adjust right. that. But it was, I thought, oh, this is great, this is great, this is great, and then he did the run up. And I know how powerful Stearman engines are on that thing, radial engines, you know, when you see the the cylinders all the way around the outside and the propeller in front of that. And there we are doing the run-up where he's checking the magnetos and everything as we're getting ready to go. We're on the active runway just before we leave. When that thing powered up to 2,500 RPM and it runs a lot faster than that in the sky, I thought to myself, what
0: the hell am I I doing doing up here? i would i would start to question my sanity <laughs> and, uh, and like are you wearing you've got goggles, goggles. Right? Oh, yeah, so go- that your eyes have aren't and a okay
1: and i'm going earl earl and i'm mm-hmm. screaming at him you know what nobody can hear no you. one can hear you so and let me get this straight this guy
0: literally is just like in the audience like who wants to go for
1: a ride but these were all members of the press oh okay okay they were okay. all members. i was all right. working for one of the because right. i'm, the I'm
0: thinking like that sounds dangerous, insurance liability, sign, they, sign a listen, lot of the stuff. the Blue
1: Angels and the, the Red Arrows and the Thunderbirds all take people in the, in the aircraft, you know, type of thing. Right. Uh, my girlfriend's a, a, an anchor for ABC on the West Coast. She went with the Blue Angels, and she was beside herself talking to me about oh, it. Oh, I,
0: I bet. Yeah. That would be so amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but to, to finish the story about that, when and I was terrified, but there was no getting off this bus, you know, this flying bus. And we take off, and I'm just terrified. It is, I don't get terrified very often. And then it happened the wheels left the ground, and we were no longer this rolling bomb. We were in the air, and everything got really calm. And I went, Oh, I like this. And it was, I did my little wobble dance <laughs> and carried on and waved to everybody. I was a role model. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. And I, I told love him, I it. said, I want you to roll the plane. I want you to do a loop. I want to go over. I want to do everything you do with the role models. I want you to do da, 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 da. And I, you know, told him what it was. And it was probably one of the most funnest things I'd ever done with an airplane uh, other than maybe fly the Goodyear blimp. Now, okay well, I, okay so let's go, we'll get to blimp <laughs> but i gotta ask you can
0: you were you in communication with him no oh dang no so you could have like fainted and he'd have had no idea that you but were, i would
1: have stayed attached i would have been a right limp, right limp, right limp right,
0: rag, right, but. right 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 okay so then there's the blimp
1: so did you tell me about being in the
0: blimp how did that come about uh,
1: friends at goodyear um uh, they had they, they do Goodyear gives people rides all the time mm-hmm. and it depends on who you know and how you know if you want to do it call them up and whine nicely and you might get it <laughs> um, and he called up he said hey I had a cancellation Do you, you got six friends that want to go for a ride in the blimp on um, this day and I went oh sure I'll take it you know I'd never been and being a pilot what I wanted a cool to see a cool invitation yeah I took members of the choir I was singing with at the time because they were the only people I could get that would want to go and just in case, I brought my logbook in case he let me sit up front. You know, I didn't, I was going to do my best to be the sweetest passenger he ever had. <laughs> <laughs> and we got you weren't going to talk about tiny testicles. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, he, he was the airship captain. So we said, now we're going and he's talking and da-da-da-da. And, you know, he'd, he'd asked me about my flying and I answered the questions. I could tell he was an instructor by the way he acted. And about, I don't know, we're up in the air, we take off. Uh, or we lift off. They just let go of the ropes, and off we go. And, and about 15 minutes up into the sky, because it was an hour, uh, flight, hour and a half flight. He said, "Louise, can you come up here for a minute?" And I said, "Sure." So I, ta, 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 you know. And he said, "Hey, I got to use the head. Can you can you sit down for a minute and just just keep it on this heading at this altitude?" And, and he showed me. I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> See you later. And off he don't went. do do what you need to do. And it was fine for me, but then the people who I'd went with, I don't think they understood I was a pilot, and they went, wait, where are he you was- going? I was going to fly this. Oh, she is. <laughs> and and he just did his thing and then came back and sat down in my seat back there and let me fly, because evidently I was doing it well enough. That's awesome. And I got to fly the whole dog on thing. He came back. I said, um... I'm not sure about landing procedures. I was going to ask because, okay, so
0: I'm trying to imagine like, what is it? Is it just one big room? Yes, it's a gondola underneath. Okay. And then, um, other than the bathroom. Well, that's a good thing. (laughs) And then, what is the landing like?
1: What does it feel like? Well, you, you point down at quite a steep angle because you've got to get out of the sky. Uh, they tend to not necessarily let a lot of the helium or whatever they're using at the time uh, until they're sure they don't need it anymore. But they'll point the thing right down and then they... In, in, just like you would on an aircraft, you go down, you know, there, there's slopes that aircraft use, but they have to point right down because they, could, they only have a certain spot. They don't have this long rolling runway because off the side of a blimp, if you take a look, you'll see there's always ropes hanging on both sides, right. wiggling okay. and jiggling. Well, those big honky ropes... <laughs> They got six strong he-men down there, like sumo wrestler. And when you point that sucker down at the ground, it's like going into a helicopter landing spot. points down and then flares it just so that it's flat. And those guys come out and they each grab a rope. It is is basic, basic grab a rope program. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah, grab a rope. So you got six... Six or eight—I don't remember—but okay. there's a lot, and of and they're
0: them. like holding
1: onto the rope, and they're—they're yeah. the—they're they're the, the landing, right? And and because it's helium, you know, it's—it's right. it's, it's an airship, right? It, you're just holding it down, and there are cleats and things that they tie off to there that they can make fast the ship. And that's how you hold. ship. And when it's in the big hangar, if you look at it, it's floating. It's I'll never on the darn. ground.
0: So when you were taking off, then it's like it, they just let it start going up, and uh, then at some point they kick on the engines. Is that go. how it works? Well, the engines are on
1: with before. Oh, you start. okay. Yeah, but all right. those are really more for directional and then altitude, uh, up and down. Gotcha. It, it was, he explained all that to me because I I had the same very questions you had. Phenomenal! Land this thing. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. And at the end, then I pulled it out and I said. Would you? Would you just? I know you're not an instructor. He said, "Oh, but I am." And so, in my logbook, I have one hour Goodyear blimp. Oh my gosh, experience. that's so
0: cool, Louise. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, is there? um, I mean, okay. I just love this, but. Let's talk about the salt flats because that's really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the salt flats themselves as a natural phenomenon mm-hmm. are interesting, right? That they're just, they yeah. talk about that.
1: The the reason that the Bonneville salt flats exist, uh, they were at one time an ancient part of the ocean system. And with all the Teutonic plate movement and uh, earthquakes and such and so forth, uh, about I think it was about twelve thirteen thousand years ago all this started well eventually uh, one range of mountains came up and trapped the sea this inland ocean uh, in uh, in between uh, well you would say about Nevada and and the rest of the, the country uh, and then it there's no freshwater feed other than what might be an alluvial thing underneath uh, and so it just started to dry out because it was all salt water the only fresh water that Bonneville ever gets is from the sky.
0: I'll be darned. Or if you spill your cup,
1: and so uh, that would that would uh, evaporate, evaporate. But over the course of this eleven thousand years, a number of earthquakes would come. And in one case, it opened up one of the parts of the mountain range, and it was a big leak, and the, the range or the level of the water went down. And there are three terraces at, you can see at Bonneville uh, to this day. They are ancient seashores, and if you go up to one of those lines, you're going to find seashells. Oh, my gosh, how cool. Yeah, so the first, second one happened. There were both uh, earthquakes of some different capacity and depending on how much water got left. But the last one, it just dried out for hundreds, thousands of years. And that's why at one time, not not anymore, thank you, Department of Interior and lackadaisical BLM, come and get me. Um, They they uh, were six feet thick in some places and now you're lucky if you could find three inches. Wow. Yeah.
0: And and that lends itself toward being something that you should drive fast on? With all that salt?
1: Yeah. See, when racing, when the automobile started to become uh, something more than a novelty, something of commerce, something for you wanted to get around with, um, it, people wanted to do things with them you know because that's what we do yeah that's it you know if if detroit at the time was doing this well could i improve this and that's just the nature of the american way the great american spirit and so the hot rod or it's what they became known as the hot rod people they would hop them up or they would make what they called gow jobs out of them and they would take them not unnecessarily on the street But they found these uh, dry lake beds out in Southern California and sometimes abandoned runways or wherever there was not a lot of people because they wanted to see how fast they would go. And the problem was that when you do this on dirt with the tires of the time, things get really hot. Okay. And the dirt, if you get a blowout you have a steel wheel back then and it would dig into the dirt and it would flip the car twist the car and there would be there were serious injuries and deaths that way right but on the thick salt which is hard as a billiard flat and as hard as a billiard table made of granite you could get that flat tire and you would probably just get dizzy because it would spin you around, but you probably wouldn't flip over.
0: Ah, got ya. Okay.
1: And, and the salt itself, even though it looks dry, it's always wet. You kneel down with a pair of jeans or something on, you will get up and your knees will be wet, even though it's 120 degrees for three weeks. Really? Because the water or whatever's underneath comes up, and it's because the heat. What happens? Heat. Right. The water rises yeah. and evaporates. And that's part of this Um, there's a four-step process. There is the uh, precipitation, then evaporation, and then you have percolation of the water from underneath that comes up in its salty, salty brine, and then you have evaporation. And that's what causes the salt flats to repair itself. It's a self-healing process.
0: Interesting. And, 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 And nobody lives in this water. Does anybody, there, any? there are brine shrimp. Brine okay, shrimp. gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Or well, Hardy things. <laughs> yeah, well, they are. They're the, that's what sea monkeys are, right? Yep. The, yeah. yeah. Okay, so what time, like what times of year do, oh, is, in is the summer. racing? In the yeah, summer it's, only?
1: It's, it's, they're looking at it now. It's, it's drying out. Almost there, Um, and they'll be between one and four events, and then sometimes these are are sponsored by various racing association groups, uh, and then then private people can go out there, but you have to get a a permit from the government to go out there, and there's certain rules that you have to uh adhere to but okay. that's how it's been they've had events going on uh with the hot rodder since 1949 every and year it hasn't h- rained how
0: does everybody get there what's like where do you fly into if you're flying salt in? lake
1: uh, okay. if you're flying in to see it salt lake rent a car uh, or get on the the casino buses and go <laughs> okay. about 120 miles uh west to uh wendover nevada or Wendover, Utah. There's West Wendover and Wendover. It's right on the, the line. Gotcha. Yeah, because they put the casinos on the Nevada side and the other yes, stuff. Yes, gotcha. Because the Mormons don't want you to have any alcohol or gambling that's or right. cigarettes they or They do dancing. not. Uh, but the Jack Mormons come there so nobody can see them. And, <laughs> and there's plenty of them. So, but that's that's how it grew up. But the Wendover is about... 15, 20 minutes from being at the starting line at Okay. Broadway. Very cool. And then, I mean, my
0: guess is you have to, when you plan an event out there, that's got to be something else to make sure that yes. there's water for people to drink. And that, I mean, that sounds well, like a- Well, no,
1: that's not up to you to get the water. You bring ah. you bring your own water. You bring your own. You shade. You let everybody
0: know. Bring your shade. Bring your water. Like healthy right. selfie on this one. That's okay, exactly gotcha. Right.
1: And whatever you bring, you pack out. Do not. Oh, you do not want to be a pig. If you're a pig, please do not come to Bonneville yeah. because we will come and track you down, and we will ask you to go pick it up. Or if you continue to do it, we will escort you off. You don't get
0: to play. Yeah. No. Absolutely not. No. You don't get to play. Um, Well, I can't wait for your talk to get out because that's, I mean, we don't have enough time today, but that talk is going to teach people a lot about the women in history and the women now that are racing amazing vehicles, quite the variety of vehicles.
1: There is. If you can... If you can dream it up, build it, make it safe enough to get it past the safety and tech, you can learn the right to go to the starting line and where you can find out how fast it will go. And Bonneville was at one time the safest place to do that. And, and this is not, we are not speed freaks. We are not, you know, got a death wish and all that happy nonsense. Right. This, you build a vehicle, whether it's two or four wheels or six but you build against the dangers when you know you're going to go as fast as we go. You make sure there's a very good roll cage, there's very good seat belts, there's very good fire pers- you know, uh, protection, there's ex- exemplary parachute systems and backup systems and, and all of that. And I've had people that have crashed well over 300, in some cases 400 miles an hour, and have mostly walked away from it. Wow. But you build against that. Right. Right. You don't do this in a rental car. <laughs> yeah, no.
0: I'm, that's a good thing. So um, tell, us, tell people where they can find out more about
1: you. Well, you can do an internet search for Land Speed Louise. Yes. And that'll give you. That'll give you everything. That's pages of stuff. But my website is landspeedproductions.biz.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't do any of the other social media stuff because I ain't got time for all of that nonsense. <laughs> you're you're, you're <laughs> I, out driving. I'm busy. I'm doing things. I'm so, not trying to talk about them.
0: I have some fun questions for you. Okay. Um, if you could drive any vehicle, whether it's something from the past or right now or that
1: you see in the future, what does that, what, what is that vehicle? Well, I have one from the past that I've always wanted to have a a turn in, and then one from the future would have to be anything that was uh, magnetic levitation. Do tell. What does that even mean? It means something that does not require being attached to the earth, but... Being I'm seeing like Star spider. Wars. That's I'm exactly seeing Star a, Wars yeah, right mag, now. Mag, magnetic levitation. How does that work? That boggles my mind. Use a, using the forces of nature to—it's uh, the same way that you know Captain Kirk gets warp drive through Scotty. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> Easy peasy. Let's just get that going. Well, the, and I said in the '80s when I used to write regular uh, stories in magazines and newspapers around the world uh, that the. Fuel to the future, at least that I thought was the cleanest way, would be hydrogen. But that was 1983 or 4, but nobody was willing to put the money into it. And we went, all all this stuff we're doing now with electric and this and that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hydrogen, is, hydrogen is still the deal. But you got two problems with hydrogen. It's if you put it in a gaseous form, mm-hmm. it's a rolling bomb. Yeah, I was going to say, that could be a little dangerous. Right, but then you can put it in a rock form, but that puts... So much weight to the vehicle. Right. But there's ways around that. Then there's fuel cells and all this. But it it's it the technology needs to be developed. You know, when when President Kennedy said we're going to go to the moon and send somebody there and bring them back safely, they didn't know how to do that yet. Right. Right, so I, I, it's the same process. So, I see that as something that will come. And some type of solar-type power. Again, very underdeveloped, but, man, the potential is just out there. And we've had solar-powered in, you know, things like that at Bonneville. That can go the, it's crazy fast? Not at the fast. high speeds. Uh, they can okay. go, well, let's put it this way. We not only own our, our record, the Team Vesco, uh, at the... Uh, the wheel-driven record. In other words, everybody out there listening, you have something that you get into, you turn it on, and you put it in gear, and the wheels turn. That's wheel turning. Well, ours is the fastest, neener, 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 at 458 miles an hour. Okay? Then there's electric vehicles, and that the fastest of those is 353 miles an hour. We also own that record with Team oh, Vesco.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Very
1: cool. Okay, we set that in an electric-powered car, which just... And this is this is if you're listening, Elon. <laughs> we took your little little car motors, your little Tesla motors, and we hot rotted those babies, threw away your stinky batteries, because they don't work right, got some other batteries, hot rotted those, put it together and went 353 miles an hour. Come and get us. <laughs>
0: All right, Elon, you have been challenged, sir. Nainer, near Nainer. Um, nainer. <laughs> okay, so tell me this. Who who holds the the speed record right now for women? Uh
1: I don't know that uh, I don't know that. Um, okay. in terms of women, when you get to that level, I don't I don't connect them to male or female. I, I just connect them to the fast cars. There Faster. are fast okay. women. I, I will say that What I have done with my latest book is that I had no idea. I knew there were a lot of women in land speed racing. The second most populous, uh, female populous motorsport is drag racing. Okay. And maybe, maybe road racing. Okay. But I identified, and when I mean identified, I mean documented. I can prove it in court. 350 women who have set more than a thousand land speed oh, records wow. just at the bonneville salt flats and i'm the noted historian on this segment of motorsports and i was clueless i should have known i had no freaking idea i thought maybe a hundred wow that's that's like amazing that is an
0: amazing piece of information it is
1: and and i i I, and I made sure they gave me their time slips, their copies of their records. I, and I'm still growing because when I published the book, there were a little over 300. And sure enough, they went, "Well, you forgot about Mish. She did da 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 da." And I said, "Well, have Mish call me and tell me because just because you're telling me don't mean squat." Exactly. I need the proof kind of thing. Yeah. You right. just pull the curtain back, but that don't right. mean that that lady can get on stage. And, and tell her tale. Right. And so that's has now grown to about a little over 300, and I think it's about 358 I've got so far. Oh, my gosh. And that's amazing. That's stunning to me. And that ranges uh, for uh, ev- um, speeds anywhere from about 100 and some miles an hour to almost 400. There There's a couple. There's 370, 360 they're, they're very close, knocking on 400's door. Wow. So, my other question for you is,
0: what's your everyday
1: ride? <laughs> what are you driving around the streets? <laughs> um, my my 2005 convertible Corvette that GM engineering department built for me. Yay. What color is it? Blue. Ooh. Blue. Just Mediterranean. Le, it's lemon blue. Oh, I like it. Yeah.
0: And... I mean, I'm sure you get some looks while you're driving down the road, right? Oh, yeah. especially the
1: car. Yeah, especially the hillbilly boys in their big pickup trucks (laughs) think they're going to go in front. Yeah, no, I don't think so, buddy.
0: (laughs) Do you, like, go to car shows with it and that kind of thing? No, it's
1: not my deal. I'll go to a car show, but I don't go to bring it. Right. Um, I go to see what other people have done, either restoring cars uh, back to what they were from the factory, Mm -hmm. usually better, or the uh, creativity. Uh, they are metal, tire, uh, rubber artists. They do these wonderful things, and then some of them do things that just because they can, they really shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah, but that's I, I go to to look at that, and there's everything from the hot rod car show at the at the drive-in type of thing, you know, like a. Uh, a, a burger joint, right? Uh, on up to uh, the snooty mobiles, uh that you find at uh, Pebble Beach and uh, Amelia Island, and, and 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 nothing against them. I mean, it, they, it's just a different kind of game, right? Uh, but they're beautiful, beautiful vehicles, and they to me they're rolling art, and, yeah, and in all forms or another, yeah. Oh, so there you go. I oh, love and I it. didn't answer your question. If a, a car from the past, if it was still here, I would very much like to have drive um, Frank Lockhart's uh, Stutz that he, he 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 ran, because I believe that if he was not killed at Daytona, uh, that he would have gone on to race at Bonneville, and we would have never heard about this guy, Malcolm Campbell, who showed up in 1935. Uh-huh. It would have been an American. But if, 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 you know, to pig head wings, it would be a pigeon. Yeah, I get you.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Alright, so this podcast, um, I, it, I, it's all about kindness, and what you are doing on behalf of women is such kindness, and it's so beautiful. And I'm so glad you're telling the story, and you're such an advocate for all of this. But just tell share with us um, something top of mind around kindness, whether it's something you've given, you've received, you witnessed, just kind of a top of mind thought.
1: Oh, that's easy. Cover the book, this lady. Paula Murphy, she turned 95 on the 16th of June. Uh, She's on the cover of the book in 1960s at the Bonneville Salt Flat where she drove a jet car uh, at speeds of 229 miles an hour for several miles in four inches of water. Oh, really? Because she only had one day to do it and she had to do this. Let's just say that if you, uh, and I'm going to do the shout out for you folks, go to YouTube, put a search in for Undaunted Paula Murphy find it. It's about 48 minutes. It will tell you the story of this gal and how doors were opened for her. She went through those doors and she delivered every single time. And if it hadn't been for a fellow by the name of Andy Granatelli, Mr. STP or Mr. 500, she would have never had that chance. Andy was her champion, but he didn't just do this because he liked her. There was no romantic involvement at all. Uh, I love you, Dolly. (laughs) <laughs> that's Dolly, That's Andy's uh, wife. Um, but she delivered every single time. And she wow. had this Paula Murphy's driving talent is as innate as Mozart's compositional and Beethoven's compositional abilities. That was part of it. So we, there's a, I did her on the uh, cover. Uh, Eric Erneson is going to put a new book out. It'll be out in August called... The fastest woman on wheels, and the film. And so that was a part of it. And we had a big event at the Peterson Auto Museum in Los Angeles a few weeks ago fettering her about this event and all of these things that she did, because most people have forgotten who she was, but I've been banging the drum. Don't forget, she's one of our pioneers. She is like a a Wilbur and Orville Wright type of person. She's like a Christopher Columbus kind of person. She's like a Sally Ride in the sky, okay? Oh, wow. So, about 350, 400 people showed up, but what they didn't know until they got there that this was on a Wednesday, the Friday before she had gotten up, slipped, fell. Broke her femur and was calling 911. 911 did not respond for an hour, called her housekeeper, woke her up. Housekeeper couldn't get 911. They finally got the fire department to break into her house to take her to the uh, hospital for emergency surgery, and they put in a nine inch plate on her femur. 96 hours later, Ms. Murphy was still a pioneer she convinced the doctor that she would be well enough to go to her party on Wednesday. And the doctor was so stunned with how her conviction and how she communicated. He said, all right, but I'm coming with, and can I bring my family?
0: Oh, my gosh. And how old
1: is she now? Ninety-five. She was 94. And so all of the people came. And I guess the the telling kind moment for me was telling people about what I had done with Paula. Uh, One that she uh, went around Bonneville, not Bonneville, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Chevrolet had a uh, Camaro, and uh, Johnny Rutherford was the pace car driver. So I convinced Chevrolet that they should let her do this, not in the race, but a couple of days before, but only if Johnny agreed, and he did, and off we went. And this woman, at 80-some years of old, took off, and I'm in the back seat thinking, okay, this is gonna be something. She went right up on that track, right in the line as though she had been on. She had just got out of the Novi a couple of weeks ago and got in, and she was running at high speeds. I think we got up to about 170-some miles, 160 miles an hour. Oh I don't remember gosh. exactly, but it was, a, it was really quick, and Johnny just sat there. With his hands in his lap, never gripped anything, was just talking. And we were only supposed to take three laps. And he said, Take a few more. I said, I'll square it. And off we, and it was just one of the most amazing things. So I told the folks about that. But in the audience, while I'm in there yakking, I noticed that there are about mm, 10 or 12 women who have set records at Bonneville that had come. And I realized th- it was an epiphany. Well, there they are all in the dark again in the audience. And I went, now nah, we got to do something about this. So I said, you know, Paula, there's a lot of your friends here from Bonneville that have set records. And ladies, would you stand up and let Paula see you? And then the gal that was in charge and, and one of the, the directors of Undaunted, oh, no, have them come up on stage and let's have a look at them. So all of them came on stage. Oh, how cool and is that? And they came that? out of the darkness and into the spotlight and... Everybody got introduced, and what they, the speeds—they um, were all special. But one of the things—they and most of them—they were all in my book too, for that matter. But there was Tegan Hammond and Tannis Hammond, and Tannis was the second woman to exceed three—no, first woman to exceed 300 miles an hour. And her daughter Tegan, 15, 20 years later, became the second woman over 300 in the family race car. Oh my God! Mother daughter. That's so cool. And the first woman who had ever joined the 200-mile-an-hour club, Marsha Hawley, was on stage. And Judy Seitz, who is the 60-, 70-year-old knitting racer. She'd just wait in line and knit. And she's set a bunch of records. Stacy B. London, who does... Uh, vintage motorcycles, Bills them all, rides them all herself. Uh, just this gorgeous creature and, and wonderful thing. She's up on stage, and I'm trying to remember who am I going to f- forget, and I'm going to be oh, Susan Christofferson. She races also drag racing, Susie Q in drag racing as well as Bonneville. They were all there. How cool is that? That was a what wonderful a moment, amazing moment. Yeah. Oh my gosh, and, I love it. And they also Oh, and there was another gal um, from from from. She was a Le Mans winner. Oh, please, I don't know her that well. I'm sorry, darling, I don't remember your name. But she was uh, a 24-hour Le Mans winner. And they were all up on stage with Paula. And Paula just sat there and she just, she was just so happy. Beaming, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, and she, by the way, she would not let them give her any pain medicine. Remember, she 96 hours on a major surgery. Oh, my gosh. Because she said they're going to ask me questions and I don't want to be an airhead.
0: Wow, that is a strong woman. She did take the... Pain
1: meds in the in the well, ambulance yeah. back to I the hospital. yeah! I'd her.
0: I'd be doing that. My gosh, she can only take pain
1: for so long. But so that's a wow. That was so much fun to be able to share that with people, and because I they wouldn't it. have got those stories, you know. And the only reason I can prove it is, you know, when she got round the second uh, lap of. Uh, Indy, I took my seatbelt out because I needed to get up close to the speedometer so I could show not only the RPM, but how fast we were really going. Yeah, no kidding. I said, Paula, don't hit the brakes or I'll go right through the windshield.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Land Speed Louise, I certainly appreciate what you've done for our TEDx stage, but also thank you for being here today. Thank you
1: so much. I adore you. It's been a pleasure. It's it really has. Thank you for the opportunity to share all this with other gals out there. Come to Bonneville, see how fast you can go. Yeah. I will help you. I we will it. all help
0: you. I love it. All right, everyone, you've been listening to Mishmash, and we've been hanging out with Land Speed Louise. So, how fast can you go? Have a good one, guys. Be kind. Bye, you girls. Girls too. <laughs> <laughs> love it. See, you
1: do. Yeah. That's a big. That's a big. Oh, thing. I got. Girls, thank you. Right. Yeah, girls, you're
0: right. Because I said guys. A lot of guys and say I that. say guys, and
1: and it's a it's a sloppy piece of um, of language. An American. Ah, I, I'm gonna change it when they do that. And I'll go, oh hi guys, and I'll go no guy, don't te- no testicles here, and I, oh well, I didn't mean the offense. But think about this when I say I don't. Know, I know you didn't mean offense.
0: Right, of course not. But
1: I've spent my whole. But it's a
0: blind spot right? that has been. Now revealed to I, me, I will. I spent will, my whole career. I am going
1: part, to work on that, Louise. Making a, thank you, making a place for women. So to get to this age, and to be called guys, it just no. I'm I'm right. not a guy, and I say to the girls. I said, I know you don't mean this, but look, think about it. If your dad, grandfather, uncles were there, and I walked up and says, Hey girls, how you doing? Would they be offended? You're right. Oh. So I I need to say guys and gals or gals and guys. Or I think what's happened is that we have created a gender specificity where none is required. You're right. Hello. Hello. Hi. See you all later. Right. Welcome. See you
0: all later. There, there. Oh, so glad you're here. I am going to work on that. And. Thank you. Yeah. And that's my, that's my big bitch. (laughs) (laughs) That is a gift that you give to people. I think it's awesome. Thank you, ma'am. I love it. All right, can I do this again? Yeah. This is ending, take two. Thank you all for tuning in to Mishmash. And we've been talking to Lance B. Louise, and we will see
1: all of you lovely people later. Oh, amen to that. Maybe on the salt. Come and find me. (laughs)